scripture text, and uh, the text today is printed in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Uh, but I would be lying to you if I told you that today because uh, this is what happens when you don't look at the bulletin until Sunday morning and you realize, oh, I wanted that whole chapter in there, not just uh, 9b through 14. So um, uh, part of the text that we're going to look at today is uh, in the bulletin. All of it will be up on the screens behind me, and uh, I'll read the whole thing. So um, we're going to talk about something today that you probably don't think about at all, which is always a recipe for uh, an exciting time in worship, right? Um, And that is, we're going to talk today about Sabbath observance. Tick-tock, tick-tock, right? Uh, What is is, is Sabbath observance and why uh, are we even bothering with talking about that? Well, because uh, very simply... Uh, God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he took a Sabbath. He rested. He established a rhythm uh, in creation and in us uh, and in himself, really, uh, that six days we would work and one day would be set aside to entrust ourselves to God because if you're not working seven days, uh, that means, and everybody else who doesn't trust God is working that day, you're, you're taking the day off, you're going to trust him to provide for you uh, that one day that you don't work, right? Now, for many of us, uh, we don't work six days. Uh, uh, many of us uh, only work five days. And uh, Sunday, which is now uh, the Sabbath, where, where we recognize that Jesus Christ uh, rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Early Christians changed the Sabbath to Sunday, the first day of the week. But for many of us, we don't work six days. We only work five. And uh, Sunday is just like Saturday, except it's interrupted by church. <laughs> right? Uh, and so... Uh, which is not the perspective that uh, that the scripture has. The perspective that the scripture has, actually, uh, and that God has, uh, is that this day of rest is a gift. This opportunity to gather with the people of God and worship, do some acts of service and mercy, is a gift. A gift from God. Um. And um, it is not often uh, for us anyway where I I think for many of us to to take that uh, gift very seriously because, frankly, you know, the besetting sin of one of the besetting sins of this congregation is over busyness, the worship actually of busyness so that we can be distracted and we don't have to be quiet and we don't have to be still and actually think or feel or worship, right? And in fact, you know, for many of us, you know, you would be embarrassed if somebody came up to you and said, what have you been up to? And you said, not much. Because the thought would be, well, what's wrong with you? <laughs> right? So that's, that's we're going to explore that a little bit today <clears throat> and uh, to, to think a little bit about why it is that Jesus practiced uh, uh, the Sabbath, uh, why it is that Uh, We practice it and how God uses it uh, uh, in our lives. And so uh, before I read the text, let me pray and uh, and then we'll we'll jump in on it this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for the gift of rest. 
We thank you that uh, Jesus Christ entered into this world, lived our life, died our death, rose again for us so that we can rest in him. (coughs) We can rest in his completed work. We uh, have been set free uh, from the bondage to sin, the dominion of sin and death. Uh, We've also been set free from the need to work our way into your righteousness or to uh, perform our way into your good graces. Thank you that you are a gracious God a loving and merciful Father uh, who provides rest, rest, real rest uh, for your people. So help us to appropriate that today. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, Isaiah chapter 58, uh, verses 1 through 14. uh, This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as they were a nation that did righteousness, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call. And the Lord will answer, you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so maybe some of you this morning, when you heard, you know, that me speaking earlier about Sabbath observance, you got nervous because you were planning to go uh, to uh, eat brunch at a restaurant when you're done with church. And you think, oh, is Steve going to say that you shouldn't go out to eat on Sundays? 
Or is Steve going to say, you shouldn't read the newspaper on Sunday, shouldn't watch the NFL, shouldn't, let's pile up the list. Um, obviously, what the scriptures tell us here and what, uh, what the, 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 the fact is, is that a day of rest uh, is not a day to be bound up with a lot of rules and regulations, but rather it is a day of delight. And did you notice how many times the word pleasure and delight is used in this text, right? Um, and so uh, I'm personally, I am not a super strict uh, Sabbath, Sabbatarian. Uh, I, um, I like occasionally to go let somebody else serve me a meal. Uh, I typically uh, uh, read the newspaper on Sunday afternoons, uh, which is going away, right? Nobody reads a newspaper anymore but I like the feel of the newsprint in my hand, uh, although I just canceled my subscription to the paper because it's too expensive. Um, but so I'm going to have to read something else before I take my nap uh, on Sunday afternoons. Um, but the, the thing is, th- that's not the point, right? And, in, and what God is getting at in this text is uh, like these people here, uh, and like we often do, we try to take a list of things that we have done, like these people are saying, we fasted, we did all these religious things, and, and God, you're not paying any attention to us. You're, you're not responding to the fact that we've behaved in a certain way, right? And so what happens here is, and, and the understanding that the, uh, that God wants his people to, to grapple with and to, and to come to grips with is we don't approach God uh, with our activity. We don't approach God and find that our way to get to him is by doing, right? Uh, we, we don't do things to get God to respond to us. Rather, we respond in, uh, uh, in faith to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, right? And that's, that's the kind of the underlying problem, uh, that these folks have is, is that they, they have a, a terrible view of God, uh, where God must be manipulated and he must be, uh, uh, kind of trained to respond to the fact that, you know, we kept the list, we did all of these things. Rather, what we understand is, is that God has acted first for us in Jesus Christ, that he has loved us first, that he has been merciful to us first, he has been gracious to us first, and we simply respond to that, right? So that's, that's, that's kind of the overall picture of what's happening here. So rather than trying to impress God with our activity, we simply rest in the work and the goodness that he has done for us. So I'm not going to get into a lot of, of, of things about the things that you could do, things that uh, you shouldn't do on Sunday. It's a, it's kind of a laugher in our family. When we first moved to Richmond, uh, um, I was sitting in my office one day and, and John McGurn came into the church and said, hey, I hear you're a runner. You know, in Richmond, we have a, a race, uh, a half marathon and a marathon that we run uh, every year at, on Sunday. It was on back then. The Richmond Marathon was on a Sunday uh, and it was at noon, which is the dumbest time ever for a distance race because uh, there, there were a couple of years we did it where it was, it was like 95 degrees at noon. It's really dumb. Um, but he said, why don't you, why don't you uh, run with me? Why don't you run the half marathon with me? So I'm like, sure. Well, I said sure without checking with my wife first, which was a big mistake because uh, you would think when you're married to someone, you would know them well enough to know that some things are a problem. But I didn't know that because 
she's like, you're going to run on the Lord's day? You might die. <laughs> Why, yes, sweetie. You know, they, you do sign a waiver when you run these races that, you know, you, you, know you, you, you could die. She's like, no, I'm serious. That's a violation of the Sabbath. I'm like, well, you're just going to have to come and watch me. I, I plan to go to church and worship at the early service, and then, then John and I will go run. And I said, aren't you worried about John? <laughs> he might die too, right? <laughs> so, um, so we had to work that out. And um, I did end up running, and obviously I didn't die. So, um, uh, But I do want you to take some time today as we talk through this uh, to think about your practice. Uh, and to think about uh, how you approach the gift of a day of rest, right? How you approach the whole concept of rest. Uh, because I think for many of us, rest is an alien concept, right? Um, and, and we think that it's actually more righteous to be super busy than it is to exercise the discipline of taking a set rhythm period of time where we uh, pull aside from our normal routine, we worship with God's people, we serve with mercy and grace, right? So as we, as we look at this text today, I want you to... to uh, to be, we're going to hold up what what uh, Isaiah says here is uh, a good practice, a way for the people of God to be instead of seeking their own uh, will and seeking their own pleasure, uh, but to rest in the pleasure that God uh, gives them a, 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 in a day of rest. And so I want us to, I want you to think about that. I want you to, you know, probably something that you don't think about very often, probably something that that you don't explore at all. But it would be worth your while to take the time. Uh, today to think a bit about that. So let's let's dive into the text. So the the people described in this passage have a number of issues, and the the biggest one is is they don't understand that God is a God of grace, that He's a God of mercy, that He's a God uh, of love. And so one of the things that you see about that is is that at the beginning of the text, God comes to them and He challenges them and He calls on them to repent. Uh, and their response has been, you know, we have been kind of desperately fasting. We have been doing all of these spiritual exercises, doing all these spiritual disciplines, and you're not answering our prayers. You're not acting on our behalf, and we're, we're pouring it out over here in our religious busyness, and yet, God, you are not responding. What's wrong with you? You know, don't, don't you see what we're doing? You owe us. And so God goes to them and says, well, let me tell you what your religious stuff looks like to me. Rather than, rather than resting in the goodness and the love and the grace of God and, and being a conduit of that grace and, and love and mercy to the needy, you rather, on the one hand, do this desperate fasting. You, you put on these religious shows and yet you oppress your workers. Uh, you ignore the poor. Uh, you have no time in your schedule for mercy uh, for the needy. Uh, for the you 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 pass by uh, the naked, you are uninterested. Uh, years ago, this is a, a famous study, sociological study that was done. Uh, I think this was done in the fifties in uh, at Princeton Seminary in uh, uh, New Jersey. And what it was was there was a group of students 
who were told to prepare a lesson on the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Their job was to prepare a Bible study and that they were going to go teach this Bible study in a class on campus. Well, the experiment was that on their way to teach, there would be a man laying next to the sidewalk uh, who was sick, troubled, beat up, messed up. And so what they told people was uh, they did an experiment. So the people, half the people they told on their way to the class that you're already late, you need to hurry up and get there, they're waiting on you. And all of those people who were told they were already late on their way to teach the, the parable of the Good Samaritan left the guy, did not even look at him. And they asked them, asked them afterwards, did you even see the guy laying on the sidewalk? And about 75% of them didn't even see the guy lying there. Because they were busy. They had important things to do. They were under pressure for time. And so how ironic, teaching on the parable of the Good Samaritan. They actually could have lived the parable of the Good Samaritan, but they were too busy, too much in a hurry to do that. And so actually, that's that in a good sense, that's, that's probably a good descriptor of the way many of us are, right? That we find ourselves in, in this situation where we uh, are uh, perpetually uh, uh, busy, perpetually about things, our minds are busy, and, th- and, and, and that leads to fatigue, and that fatigue leads to anxiety, and that anxiety leads to a dissatisfaction with ourselves, and ultimately a dissatisfaction with the goodness and the grace of God. Where what God sees for us, what the Lord wants for us, is for us to, to delight, to take him at his word, to entrust ourselves to him, and to practice in a way to respond to that grace in a particular way. When he says stop and rest, that's a gift for us. That's an opportunity for us to to pull aside from the ways we tend to live our lives, to pull aside from our, our routine and engage our hearts and our minds with one another and with the God who loves us and who is for us. It's a gift. It's a joy. It's a delight. Now, I know for many of you, especially if you bring little kids to church and uh, that sort of thing, that it is such a... It's hard sometimes to think of church as a delight. You know, my poor kids grew up sitting right there with their mother, with me looking at them. And numerous Sundays, I found ways to subtly look at them while I was preaching and threaten them. <laughs> because I wanted them to know, I see what you're doing there. And... uh we're going to have uh, our own little worship service when we get home. So, um, uh, but the fact of the matter is, you know, there's something rich and profound and something that God says about the way we are made and something that God says about the way he has redeemed us is that he gives us this opportunity uh, to worship together with the people of God, to practice some stillness and some quietness and to rest in the work that God has done for us in Jesus Christ.
And so what you see here in this text is these people are kind of desperate in their religious activity. They're like, they're desperately fasting. They're desperately giving themselves to these, uh, these spiritual disciplines. Next slide, please, Brian. And, and yet, you know, what God contrasts that with is the joyful keeping of the Sabbath in verses 13 through 14. And, and God wants that to be a delight. He wants us to uh, to experience his delight uh, one day a week, in a sense, where we rest in his provision for us in Christ. And so what uh, uh, this I came across this quote here. It's it's really interesting because what what Isaiah does is he says, you're doing all these religious things. But really, what I want you to do is to practice Sabbath. And what I mean by that is I want you to rest from your desperate religious activity and entrust yourself to me and let that trust spill over into the lives of the poor, the oppressed, the needy, and those who need mercy, right? And so Motyer says this, the heart here, he wants our hearts to be so captivated by God that the day set apart is a joy. Now, this is the reason for the emphasis in this text on Sabbath, right? And so it is a symbol, really, of a whole heart and life devoted to the Lord. And so I would say to you, if you never experience some sort of Sabbath in your life, if you never experience some sort of time where you, where you, uh, order your days and order your time in such a way that you, 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 you have a period of time where you rest, have, you have a period of time where you worship with the people of God, you have a period of time where you are able to serve and extend mercy to others, then, then there's, there's something amiss in your life. And one of the reasons maybe why you're tired, anxious, tempted, struggling, and you lack power in your life to be able to appropriate fully the goodness and the grace of God, to appropriate the gospel in your life, is because you never rest. You never rest. And even when you're sitting in here on Sunday mornings and your, your worship, your mind is churning, right? You're distracted thinking of what? You got to do. We, we we've been working uh, this the last six months at our house on our backyard, and uh, I tore our deck down, and we're doing all this stuff. And uh, I've got so much. I, I built a two patios. Can you believe it? And um, um, and I've still got so much more to do. And I found myself laying in the bed this week, unable to rest because I'm thinking, man, I got to get that grass sown. Man, I got to. I got to, I got to get that yard ready. You know, it looks terrible. The neighbors, you know, if I don't get something going here, the neighbors are going to throw me out of the neighborhood. You know, I got to, I got to, I got to get, I got to get busy here. I got to get. And so you get amped up, you get your wheels rolling and you can't rest. Yes, we were designed for work, designed to work, but we are designed for rest and the work that Christ has done for us. So uh, why does this even matter? Why is it even uh, something that God wants us to, uh, to settle on? Well, it matters because it's what God did. He rested, remember, on the, on the seventh day. But it also matters because it is a, a day of delight, a day of rest from the typical labor we do. Uh, a day of corporate worship and a day of service and mercy. And so I want us to think just a minute, why is it important that we have a day where, that we set aside and we gather together as the people of God in worship? Have you ever thought about that? Why does God want you to do that? Why, why is it that 
part of God's way that he wants you to grow and to know and to be known by him is to come together with a bunch of people in a uh, one place, sing together, read the scriptures together, take the sacraments together. Why does he want to do that? Why is that important? Because most of us think that the way we grow spiritually and the way that God works in us is that we sit alone by ourselves with our Bibles, praying, reading all by ourselves. And that's good. If you don't do that, you should. But there's something unique when the people of God gather together on his day in his name uh, uh, to, to worship him. And I, I'll, I'll show you why. I came across this quote this week that I thought was really good. So the ma- most basic way we can observe the Sabbath today is by participating in the public worship of God's people. Of course, I'm going to tell you that, right? Um, it's my job to tell you that. But, but, but bear with me. United around the preaching of the gospel and participation in the sacraments. By placing public worship near the center of our Sabbath practice, we are escaping the inevitably individualistic way many of us think about spiritual disciplines. In public worship, we are by definition united with other people. And this is where it gets powerful for me. Public worship forces me into contact with people I might not otherwise like very much if not for Christ. Does that describe anybody in here? As you look across the room, right? I'll say the creed with the woman who works for the politician I don't like. I'll share the supper with someone with whom I disagree. And I will submit myself to spiritual leadership that I might not fully agree with. Right? Because one of the things that we have to see that, that God is giving us this gift is not just the gift of rest that we take on individually, but it is a gift that we, that we take together, that we are united in Christ. And that is the thing that ties us together. I mean, two, two of the, the most profound moments for me in the worship service are when we sing, because that's the one time this congregation speaks with one voice, Right? Uh, the rest of the time we speak with about 700 voices, right? And the other one that's this, this terribly profound for me is when I give the benediction. And when I give the benediction and I see people and I, and think, I know that guy doesn't like me very much. Or I don't like that person very much. And yet here I am speaking God's blessing over them because what unites us what puts us together, what holds us together is Christ, his work, not the fact that we like the Redskins together or that we uh, like a particular political tribe together or anything like that. Our, what unites us, what shapes us is our common confession, our common belief, and our common trust and the work of Christ. And so God wants us to experience that. He wants us to be challenged and shaped and comforted and, and directed by that, by coming together with people who are not all that much like us, people with whom we may disagree, people with whom we, we may have differences, but he brings us together to show us on his day that we are his and that we are each other's because of the work that Christ has done for us. So, It's important for us to gather as his people regularly. 
to experience that. But the other thing that's important for us to remember, next slide, please, Brian, is that what Jesus did on his Sabbath observances, we do too. And that is not only that we come to worship, but we also uh, perform acts of mercy and service. Uh, that this is a day where we pull aside, yes, for worship, but we also give ourselves to loving the people uh, that are the most needy among us. One of the great things that happens here on Sunday mornings is something you may not be aware of. Almost virtually every Sunday morning, our deacons are meeting with somebody somewhere in the church to help them, <clears throat> either with food or with uh, uh, their bills or with uh, any, any number of things that they might, uh, that they might need. For many of you, your days are so frantic, you're so tired, you're so fatigued that the thought of actually serving somebody else on Sunday feels terrible. Well, you need to reorder your priorities and you need to reorder your week in such a way that you can entrust yourself uh, to the love and the grace that God has for you and that you can extend that into the lives of other people. And then lastly, why is it important for us to practice rest? Why is it important for us to practice Sabbath? Because I can't think of anything better or anything more profound that you can do to prepare yourself for eternity. That's your destiny, is to rest. That doesn't mean that heaven's boring and you just lay around and and pluck a, a harp on a cloud or anything like that. But what, what it does mean is, is that the preparation, the, the experience that we have on, on Sabbath where we rest from our labors and, and enjoy the goodness and the grace and the gifts that God has for us in Christ, that what eternity is, is an unbroken Sabbath with all of God's people, where we gather together, we are together with him, uh, experiencing the fullness of what he lived and died to give us. And so when we practice this little tiny bit of, of Sabbath now, it is a, in many ways, it is a, it is a preparation for heaven. It's a preparation for the new heavens and the new earth for us. It is a preparing us for what our destiny is. That when we rest from our labors and we rest in Christ, that prepares us and shapes us and directs us towards what our destiny is. So I think for many of us, you know, heaven, heaven might be kind of difficult for us because we haven't learned how to rest. We haven't learned how to turn aside and to entrust ourselves fully and to enjoy and delight ourselves in the delights that God gives us in Christ. Hear now these words of institution, of the Lord's Supper. The disciples prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's uh, confess our sins together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.
Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. It is a delightful thing in God's eyes to gather as his people to worship him and to enjoy and appreciate his good gifts. When we come to the table and we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we're saying something profound, and that is uh, that all of our religious doing amounts to nothing. All of our striving after uh, our own righteousness are nothing, less than nothing. That our hope, that our confession, that our joy is found solely in the life and death of Jesus Christ for us. And so when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are saying all of your sins are forgiven. You are saying that that Jesus has done what you could not do. And he gives you this bread and he gives you this cup as tangible things that you can hold and see and smell and taste to come to grips with the reality, the beautiful reality, the delightful reality that your sins are forgiven, that Jesus has fully atoned uh, for your brokenness and for your sin. So if you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope, no other place to go, no other thing to entrust yourself to except to the finished work of Jesus Christ for you, you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, he invites you today with all of his people, your brothers and sisters, to taste and see uh, the goodness of our God. As the elders and deacons come down front uh, to assist me this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, all the inner rings are grape juice, and all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.